Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. This week I'm joined by fellow Nottinghamshire lad Indy Green, who is an incredibly talented birder, and together we delve into the world of twitching and birding as Indy tries to help me understand about this subculture of wildlife watching. Well, welcome to the podcast, Indy. Thanks so much for having me. You've done a few of these now, haven't you? I've done a, yeah, I've done a couple over lockdown. They've been, they're, they're really good fun, actually. They're really good fun. Yeah, it stops you from going too, um, too stir-crazy. And yes. originally yeah. today we were going to meet up, weren't, well, originally we were going to meet and go see the vulture, Vigo the Vulture, and then yes. she, and we'll come on to why it's a she in a bit, but um, she selfishly left the Peak District so we couldn't go to do that. And then we were going to go to Sherwood Forest, your local patch, because yeah. to my to my shame, even though I live in Nottingham all my life, I've only been about three or four times. I thought that would be good. But Nottingham's currently the cases are rising and I thought it's probably best that we didn't meet so we're doing this virtually instead but we're here now that's the important thing yes absolutely <laughs> so what we're going to do is I'm going to pick your brains about uh, the world of bird watching and twitching because it fascinates me a little bit about and the first thing is can you tell me the difference between a birder and a twitcher because I'm told that they're different species yeah it is it is a it is a weird community because well, like you say, you do sort of get two different species among one species, if you know what I'm saying. But yeah, so twitchers, they're kind of like birders who will, and it is often old white men, which is, well, that's how it is, isn't it? Um, but they will often, right, basically anyone who sort of goes out maybe across the UK or anywhere to just see a rare bird, like, um, I mean, I, I don't really count myself among them. I'm not that, in, you know, intent on following lots of different birds across the UK, but there was a just a couple of birds turned up on Shetland and then bird on the west coast of Scotland. And it's basically people who just go to mega lengths to go and see rare birds across the UK. And then bird watchers are just people who are interested in birds and sort of bird on their local patch and see what they can find. And they sort of photograph them at the same time sometimes. But basically there's twitchers who are just go just try and see everything and get a huge list for the year and try and race against each other. And then there's bird watchers who are a bit more calm and relaxed and just bird on the local patch, really. So are all twitchers birders, but not all birders twitchers? Or is it more complicated than that? Are all twitchers birders, all birders twitchers? I feel like... I've, I've confused like, you now. <laughs> that's a quite tongue twister. I feel, like, I feel like a birder can turn into a twitcher quite easily, depending on what the bird is. Because okay. there, was a, there was a bird on, um, I think it was Skomer. No, no, not Skomer. Um, I think it was... Oh, what's the, I know it was, um, what's the island off the, oh, Farn, yeah, Farn Islands, that's it. Yeah. And um, there was like a little, yeah, it was, yeah, that was it. It was called a desert warbler and it was one colour and it had a little yellow eye, which sort of sold it a little bit to me, but the rest of it was completely grey and hundreds of people went to see it. And that doesn't really interest me in the slightest. When we had the European bee eaters that turned up um, East League, I, I wonder if you've seen them actually. I did, I did um, go but, see them, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were great. So I feel like they are, like, they're, they're a bird that I would go see. But just to go all the way to, you know, the Farn Islands, just to see a little grey job, even that's not really my I, thing. I have to admit with you, um, I, I'm, I'm definitely the same. If something bright and colourful and tarty turns up on my local patch or, or, or in Nottinghamshire, then I'll, I'll, I might go and see it. 
but uh, I ain't, I'm not traveling 200 miles for a little brown jobby. You know, hats no. off to the people who were who were you know passionate for that, and that, and if that's gonna yeah. you know stir their tea, then fair enough. But it's not for me. It's, it, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, if they, if they want to do it, I'm, there's, I'm not stopping them. There are no rules. It's just, <laughs> it's just not my thing, to be honest. No. So, why do you think people twitch then, or why should I say? Well, you said you're not really a twitcher, but what do you think dr- drives people to these lengths to see these these birds? I think, I mean, a lot of these people, like I mentioned earlier, um, a lot of the people, not not all, I will say not all, but a good amount of people, when you go to places like Spurn Bird Observatory and when there is a, you know, a good place for birding, a lot of them are sort of um, older white men, which is how it is, unfortunately. I mean, that's not a bad thing. I've learned a hell of a lot of these from these, from these kind of people. Um, and a lot of them, you know, 99% of them are all great. And I think it's just... I mean, I can I can get where they're coming from because to see loads of cool birds and loads of rare ones is a big thrill. I'll be honest; I'm not knocking that. To, I'm not knocking that at all. It's just also you've got to think about your carbon footprint as well. So I think that's a bit slightly maybe irresponsible, but I would I I I, I think it's just a genuine thrill of it just to see some nice different birds now and again. Because I mean, having shared forest forest on my doorstep, I'm not really accustomed to. You know, not seeing cool stuff because there's loads of different birds, red starts, spotted flycatchers, goshawks, everything. But then it was just sort of the same sort of thing every time. Then you want to see these cool birds. So I can understand why they do it. So it's this thing with the list, isn't it? And uh, and I wondered if you knew, because we'll talk about the vulture in a second, but I know there was at the beginning people were like, oh, we're not sure if it's wild. And then they wouldn't go and see it. And then I think, but it's a it's a fucking bearded vulture. Why would you not want to go and see it? Whether it was captive bred or not, it's an amazing bird. So I wondered if you knew what were the rules of these lists? Because I know one of them is anything kind of uh, released or, or the potentially captive is like, oh no, we won't go and see that. But I still think, well, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. If it's an amazing animal, why wouldn't you want to see that? But I didn't know if there was any other rules or any kind of faux pas with, with going to see these birds. I think I think people sort of make up their own individual rules to be honest because I know okay. there was a lot of um, kind of controversy about listing the um, Isle of Wight white-toed eagles that were released um, over the yeah. last couple of years because they were moving all over the UK and um, a lot of them flew over Nottinghamshire actually I think it was one or two went straight over Attenborough Nature Reserve which I know you know Jack but there was sort of people saying well if they're, they're put if they're released there I mean they were wild chicks from you know I think I think most of them came up from Scotland but people saying well they were put there and they wouldn't have been there and we wouldn't have, and I can I can see both sides but but I I mean not being a twitching lister person if it, it won't flew over my garden I'd absolutely <laughs> take it it's a white toad eagle yeah what, what more do you want that's it's insane but it's like the vulture which I'm sure we'll talk about soon um it's there were a lot of people when that first came and that first came well it's probably one of those escapes or a release but um, we've actually found out recently it's a wild bird from a wild nest. So, so it's it, it ticks all the boxes literally in terms of it is wild, so you can count it on on your uh, on your list. Pretty much. I mean, I think the vulture. I think its grandparents were released in the Alps because I think that was part of a reintroduction project. But the vulture's right. parents were children from that grandparent. So, when you really think about it, that was from an established pair in the Alps. That was from a wild nest, so it wasn't bred in captivity. So. And they were historically there, I believe. So they were just reintroducing them. So I would completely, almost, my parents were wild. So I would completely count it wild, to be honest. Okay. Now, I was, uh, yeah, and I would agree with that as well. 
I, and I was Googling some twitching terms. So I thought we could do uh, not, not, a, not a game show, but I'm going to name some, some, <laughs> some terms in twitching. And I want you to tell me what they are, because some of these I've heard, some of them are baffling, uh, some of them I haven't heard. Okay, so the first one is, is plastic. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, I think that's the term that they use for like ringneck parakeets and like release ducks. Um, I think that's for like, not, well, plastic, it's like released or like non-native, I believe. Yeah, so uh, the term I have here is a bird that has escaped from captivity rather than a truly wild bird. So like a budgerigar in your garden or something like that, or a zebra finch, I yes. guess. Um, yes. So I hadn't heard that one. I've heard of like um, mucky ducks when you get those sort of mallards that are always at Attenborough or that have clearly been shagging a farmyard duck. And you get all those <laughs> those weird hybrids, don't you, that just don't look right. They're not quite a farmyard duck and they're not wild. And it's just, yeah. Uh, not yeah. Right. So, yeah, that, I heard of that one. So this one, this one confused me because I know this for another meaning, but jizz. What is, what's a jizz? Oh, what's a jizz? Is that like a like a little warbler or something? I've not heard that before. Oh, right, okay. I shouldn't really be be asking young boys about jizz, should I? But but the 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 overall. Oh, gosh, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going there. Um, so what I have written down is the overall impression given by the general shape, movement, or behaviour of a bird. The jizz of a bird. I hope that that is a real thing, and that someone's not winding me up by telling me that's a bird. <laughs> Ask, that's funny. ask ask some of your birding friends uh indy hopefully <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm, I'm sure they'll know whether it's yeah okay or... well that that one that one backfired didn't it <laughs> um and a, a grip a grip yeah oh. my god i've never heard that before um all right let's have a guess um a grip oh i have no idea so no idea okay so it's to see a bird which another bird had missed and to tell them you've seen it Oh, so we that's all know. Like the, yeah, that's good because that's like that. Oh, you should have been here five minutes ago, thing, that, isn't it? Yeah, that's so, always how it is, isn't it? Yeah, so there's a name for that. Apparently, a grip, which, yeah, we all know someone like that, oh, don't we? He's like, oh, if you were here five minutes ago, you would have seen this. Oh, I've done it gospel. so many times. It's great fun. Yeah. 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 It's nice if you're the one who's seen it, but um, it is. Yeah. Okay. It's nice if it's the other one. I think, I, I think you'll know this one, a mega. Oh, yeah. That's like, that's like the bearded vulture in. So that's like a really, is that quite a rare bird or quite a special looking bird that, that, you know, someone then goes and sees? I think that's probably like a, like a mega rare, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you've got that one. So we get, we've got two, two out of four so far. There's three more. A cripper. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is like, like mastermind. Or something. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like Paxman. Um, uh, is Paxman? <laughs> no, he doesn't do mastermind. I don't know. I don't watch those programs. A crippler. <laughs> Oh, isn't that like, oh, I think that's either like a really good looking bird or really good views of a rare bird or something. I've so heard of like a, crippling views and stuff. It says a rare and spectacular, brilliant bird. So I'll give you that. Ah, oh, sweet. And then a dip. Oh, yeah, that's when you miss a bird. When you yeah, so to miss seeing a bird, which you're really looking I've for. I've done and, that. Yeah, yeah, no, I have, I've done <laughs> that as well. And then the last one is a dude. Oh, a dude. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that was a thing in the world. No, apparently it is. Maybe this is an American website that I got this from, which is why some of these haven't landed. But apparently a dude is a novice bird watcher. Oh, so oh, I didn't know that. Someone who, oh, yeah, there you go. So you've learned a few things. I've learned a few things. Wow. And, our, and our listeners have been bored for about five minutes, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, so hopefully, exactly. They've learned a few things. Anyway, so what you have been bombarded for on social media for the last few months is is the vulture, and you you know hit the headlines with it, and Vigo the bearded vulture. So I just wanted to know what was it like being involved seeing that bird and um, and just the whole experience really. Yeah, so um, I first saw the bird, I believe it was the 19th of September, I think. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry 19th of July, um, when it, I think it arrived sort of around the beginning of July or late June. So I, well, I, I went with a guy who you know, Rob Hall, who lives in Nottingham as well. I do, yeah. Um, Rob helped me out when I was first starting out, so he's, he's a good egg, Rob. Yeah, he's really, he's absolutely brilliant. He, well, he helped me out when I was first starting out as well, so yeah, top guy. Um, and yeah, he, he messaged me one, um, it was the evening, I think it was about seven o'clock or something. And he said, going up for this vulture tomorrow, do you want to lift in the back seat? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and I said, what time are you going to pick me up? And she said, oh, probably about 4am. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I'll, I'll get some sleep now then. Um, and he said, oh, actually I've heard parking's quite bad. I'll, um, I'll pick you up at three. And I was like, right, okay, I'm going to sleep now. And he said, oh, actually, I've heard parking's really, really bad. I'll pick you up at two. And I was like, um, right. And I said, well, it's in an hour. Right. And I said, well, yeah, I, I just, I know, I just texted him back and I said, are you staying up all night? And he was like, yeah. And I said, oh, sod it. And I will as well. So he, he picked me up at one in the end. Um, and then we left and we got there way before the sun rose. Um, so there were only like minimal parking places on the moors. Um, and then we walked for about what felt like forever. Um, just over, like you saw, sort of, there was like endless hills. And you think, well, right, it must be over, over this hill. Okay, it must be over this hill. How about this hill? It was just went on forever, but it was about two hours and then sort of sinking up to your waist in boggy moorland towards the end of it. But eventually we went over this last hill and there were about 300 bird watchers all on this ridge, or twitches, I should say, twitches and bird watchers all on this ridge. Um, what, by the time you got there, there was already people yeah, by the already... Time we got there. Jeez, yeah, yeah. Wow. It, it was about, it was, God, what time was it when we got there? It was about 5 a.m. when we got there. And there were only four cars in the parking place. And we thought, oh, well, we'll you know, be with other maybe, you know, three or four people. <laughs> Did not expect 300 people. Um, so we had to jump a few rivers and then a couple of people there pointed it out to us. Um, and we waited five hours while the sun rose. It was a gorgeous day. Um, and the sun rose and it warmed us up and we were all chilling out, just chatting with everyone. Because we wanted to obviously see it in flight because that ginormous three wings, three meter wingspan, we had to experience that. Um, so we waited five hours in beautiful location. Um, well, the moors, and um, yeah, and then it took off, like, it flew about five meters, land on a rock, and we're like, great. I don't know, through all that, five meters land on a rock again, but then it took off again, and then it flew underneath us through the valley we were looking over, and it rose to be eye level with us, and then it started circling about head about head height, and then about ten meters above our heads, above the whole group for about maybe thirty, forty seconds. And then it just really slowly glided straight over the moors behind us. And it was just insane to have a bird, that, well, the biggest bird in the UK, three metres big, fly just a couple of metres over your head. It's just, at the way it was, I mean, I, I still don't really have too many words to describe it because it was just crazy. But then, um, yeah, then I, I took, some, took some decent photos and then I was on the first RSBB work party back at Sherwood the next day. And all day, my phone was buzzing from journalists, literally all day. And it's like, oh, can we use this picture in this? Can we use this picture in that? Can we talk, talk to you live on this tomorrow? Can we talk to you live tomorrow on that? And I was just like, give me a minute. <laughs> but then, um, yeah, a couple of days after, myself and Tim Birch from the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust were just 
um, taking it all on. We were just doing loads of interviews, which was really, it was really good to get that experience and do all them um, and talk about the vulture and spread awareness of the plight of rats persecution on the moors and everything, and then talk about the danger the vultures potentially in of being poisoned potentially. But um, thankfully, it survived. Um, and then about a month later, after I saw it, it took off. Um, no, sorry, no, not a month later. It moved on from the Peak District on the 19th of September. Um, and it started slowly making its way, and then it was slowly making its way down. We thought, right, it's going to go. It's going to go straight across the channel, back home, done. We've done it. Um, and then it turned up in Oxford. We're like, okay, right, wait, it's just on a 20 down. Makes sense. Um, and then all of a sudden it turned up in Norfolk. And we're like, hmm, that's a little bit off course. And then it turned up in Spalding over Lincolnshire. And then I think it turned up in a place called, I think I hope I'm pronouncing it right, I think it was Crowland or something, or Crowland um, in Lincolnshire. And it was not really the type of place you'd expect a vulture, just arable farmland, you know, farms, power, low power lines, main roads everywhere. So we were like, oh, great, it's not going to survive long here. Um, but thankfully it spent another two weeks there after people found the roost, roosting site. Um, there were a couple of issues with farmers getting a bit annoyed at all the birders and twitchers parking on access roads and things like that. Um, but thankfully, um, it took off and it flew straight down um, into far southeast Kent um, just a couple of days ago. And we got a report that it flew out across the channel uh, really, really high because obviously it needs enough wind, enough tailwind because they don't like flapping on, don't, don't want to use up too much energy and they hate flying across water. Um, so the fact that it's got here from the first place is insane. Um, yeah, and then there was a report that flew really high out over the channel and 10 minutes later circled and came straight back in the field in Kent. But then I think it was yesterday, which, is, which was the 15th of October, um, it flew really high again and whizzed straight across the channel and out of view. So hopefully it's making its way back to its homeland in the French Alps and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to get lots more reports as it travels over Europe. Um, so we'll be able to keep an eye on it and hopefully it will stay safe and have a long, awesome life. Navigation is not this bird's strong point, is it? It doesn't seem to be. I mean, I mean, it's typical for birds of prey, um, especially vultures, really, any young birds. They do like to do a lot of exploring over vast areas, but travelling through, I don't know how many different countries and across the sea, which is, you know, almost really well, not well, not well recorded in vultures because they don't really travel across the sea because um, for some reason they just, I don't know if they're a bit lazy, but they just don't really like flapping their wings to be honest and they have to glide so the wind and all the conditions have to be just right. Um, and I guess it just found a nice bit of wind, started floating and didn't stop. So um, yeah, when it did that sort of extra band across sort of the um, east coast of England, that was like, what, what are you doing there? It's sort of going back up again. But um, Farewell tour. Yeah, yeah. Well, just exploring the sites, but thankfully sorted its sat-nav out and it's on the way down. <laughs> and am I right in saying they're the biggest bird of prey in Europe? I, I believe so. I heard that somewhere. I think you're right. Um, don't quote me on it, but I think so, yeah. Because <laughs> I guess the only other contender is white-tailed seagull, but I, I, don't, I don't know the exact size, but I'm sure I read that, that they are the biggest kind of bird of prey in yeah, Europe. Yeah, so... Yeah, so yeah, bearded vulture, um, their three meter wingspan, uh, white-tailed eagle is 2.8 or 9. Right, okay. so, so it's close. Yeah, very close, yeah. I mean, both, they're both the size of a barn door, so they're yeah. both ginormous. <laughs> yeah. And would we, I mean, would they have been present in the UK at some point, or are there, is, it, is this just a really unusual sighting, or historically, 
would Lambergaia or Bearded Vulture, I should say, but don't like to call them Lambergaias, do we? Um, would they have been found in, in Britain? We don't think so. So I was chatting to um, someone called Louis Phillips from the Vulture Conservation Foundation a couple of days ago. Um, and, I, and I asked him that exact question, were they actually sort of native and resident to the UK, however many tens of thousands of years ago? And um, we don't actually think so. Um, although although it is, you know, sort of, well, not quite the habitat that we found in maybe sort of rugged Scotland and um, Snowdonia area, it's not, we, we don't believe that we had, I'm, I may be completely wrong on that, but it may have been, you know, absolute tens of thousands of years ago, we maybe had them, but um, in recent times, absolutely not. No, so this is a proper uh, rare sighting. And since sort of records began, this is only the second record for the UK anyway. So yeah. um, I think I think that would be the answer. I remember the first, was the first one in Cornwall? Is that right? I seem to remember yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was, oh, I think it was, um, what are those little islands called? Um, Sillies? Yeah, yeah, I think it was around there. Um, maybe, was it? Oh, like Guernsey or something? I oh, the Channel Islands. Yeah, yeah, cha- yeah, that's it. Yeah, I can't yeah. get anything to it. But yeah, the Channel Islands. I oh, think that okay. was one of the records. And then I think it, I think you may be right and moved up towards Cornwall. Yeah, um, I do yeah. I vaguely remember that a few um, a few years ago. So, I mean, we've, we've kind of covered this already a little bit in the podcast, but why do you think people then get so strung up about birds being being wild or released? What What do you think it is that puts them off? say counting a bird that they think's released or or not i think i mean by that standards you could if, if you don't like if, if right and you say if you like counting birds that are released then you could just go to the zoo and count all the parrots in there then that's sort of the i think that's sort of the thing that's kind of like which cheating doesn't feel right which i can understand i mean i wouldn't but i think it's that i mean i mean i'm I'm with, I mean, I wouldn't go count parrots in a zoo, but um, I'm not sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> Probably a bad example. I don't no, know. Well, you can do that at Woolerton. Yeah, you can do that at Woolerton. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, I think it's just, it has to be wild, which I completely understand because there was a lot of um, controversy amongst the birding community when, um, I don't even know how to pronounce it because I <laughs> didn't really have much interest in them, to be honest, but I think it was Ferrugious Ducks. Um, Ferrugian stuff. Uh, yes, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to try it because I'll have. I'll. I'll mash it up. But I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, we just called them fudge ducks to keep it simple, and also it's a lot easier to spell in text messages. So, um, yeah. So they turned up, and I think I can't remember where they're normally found. It was either like America or Far East Asia or something. It was somewhere nowhere near around here. Um, and there was a lot of people saying, "Well, they haven't got clip wings. They haven't got tags. They haven't got rings." they're wild and we were like well the chances of them turning up um you know in the uk and people were basically feeding them bread and seed so they're obviously being tamed somehow and somewhere um then a lot of people were saying well they're not really wild are they but um there's there's still people who who would have ticked them i personally wouldn't have um but it's just i mean i'm i'm, I'm kind of with all those people i wouldn't have ticked a bird like that but i think it's there's it's got to be wild which completely makes sense yeah, and you, I think you've already answered this next question, but do you keep a list then? Do you have a list of all the species you've seen? Uh, yeah, I do. I'm not, I mean, I don't really keep on top of it. I haven't counted up my list for last year yet. Um, uh, but I sort of I sort of do a list for the garden and stuff like that because I think last year I got roughly 118 or something for the garden, which I was just... Oh, that's pretty with. good for a garden, isn't um, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, 
I mean, I, I do keep all my records, so I'm, I'm not necessarily a lister, really. I just sort of keep records. So I've got, um, I've got, I'm on my fifth notebook now, just constant records of all the rare stuff I see um, on my patch and Sherwood. So I'm more of a record keeper than a lister, so to speak. So uh, if you don't know exactly, what's your rough life list then? Oh, gosh. Um, so last year, I mean, I would estimate about... 270 i would go for that's you you you've seen 270 uk wild birds you reckon oh uk oh blimey no yeah um, sorry I yeah i meant you i meant yeah, sorry, UK, <laughs> sorry i should yeah. i should have yeah. narrowed that down yeah how many how many are you uh british yeah, species i say 270 is bloody good <laughs> yeah 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 um so i think it's probably well i know a friend who a friend of mine he sees around 300 300 birds in the uk um, wow last year, which that was impressive um, but I would reckon maybe 210 for the UK, maybe. Somewhere okay, there. that's yeah. pretty healthy. Yeah, I, I put mine about two. I think I did this on the train once. I thought I was that bored. I thought, right, I'm going to write down every <laughs> single bird species I've seen. I think I got to a, a nice round 200. It might be one or two more over that now, um, which I thought wasn't too bad. I don't know. Again, I don't really keep a list of things. but Yeah, um, that was my estimate because last I'm de- I, I wanted to get to... You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sort of too fussed if I don't. But I've sort of a little ambition of mine to get to 200 in a year, and I got to 198 last year. Oh no! Um, but um, I need. I need to count up this year to see what I'm on. But a good, good couple of. I've had some nice, nice birds this year. Some good ospreys, and um, I had a great day up at Spurn Point. Um, Spurn, yeah, Spurn Bird Observatory a couple of days ago. Um, which got me loads of loads of really good birds. I even saw a nice merlin this morning as well. So that was a really that was a really nice. Oh, okay, yeah, I've only I've only ever seen them in Shetland, but I know they're quite a oh yeah spectacular yeah, bird. They are good for them Absolutely. there because as well as a, uh, a a bird watcher, you're also a, a photographer like myself. So do you think there's a bit of a divide potentially between bird watchers and, and wildlife photographers? Yeah, there is a bit of a divide, and I feel um, I mean even there's a the I mean, I think there's even a divide among like photographers as well, because I think the two sayings are you're either a photographer. Oh, no, no, sorry, three. You're either a photographer, a birder or a birder with a camera. But there's a lot of people who say the, you're not a birder with a camera. That doesn't exist. You're just a photographer or just a birder. Um, but I, I would absolutely count myself in the, yeah, well, I saw a bit of both, to be honest. I mean, I like to <laughs> photograph the birds I see. But yeah. I'm not gonna go out of my way just to. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna go on and like ping, you know, it was sort of going in paid hides and things like that. I I really don't like stuff like that. I just see it as no. completely cheating. So I I mean, like all those. I mean, you get you get some fantastic photos, obviously, from those sort of places, and they go in, you know, great guides because the only real way you can get fantastic pictures of birds like orfinches and to do is to go in one of those hides and you know just one weird example. But um, I. I I don't I, I I wouldn't do that stuff at all. But I think I think there definitely is a divide, and I think it often because you do get a lot of irresponsible photographers who give the rest of that bracket that sort of species a bad name. Um, so there were some shocking photos at some um, Benton Cliffs that I saw back in the summer of two. Um, I mean, I've never been to Benton Cliffs, but I know there's like a fence that goes all the way along the top of the cliffs, and I'm sure you yeah. know. So I think you do. Um, and they they'll two or three people who just obviously jumped the fence and were right up against the cliff side and taking 
you know, trying to get bad photos of gannets and puffins and whatever else is there. And I just thought, well, is a death wish really just to get a better photo of a yeah. gannet? It's, it's really given us a bad name. And um, same with the vulture, to be honest. I know um, some, not all, some are great. Some photographers are really great, really respectful. They like getting photos, they like doing it in a safe way. So do I. That's absolutely fine. There were some people who sort of went down the valley to get closer and closer to the vulture when it was in his first roots, um, first roost site um, at Howden Moor in Derbyshire, and that's just not on. So um, there is a divide. You get it's, it's like it's like any sort of you know area of society. There's there's a divide. Some are more responsible, and some are you know more irresponsible, um, and that's it really. Yeah, I mean, I'll just we rewind to where you mentioned about the hides. I think. It, it kind of depends who you got. I mean, we had um, Alan McFadden. I don't know if you're aware. He does the Sparrowhawk hide in Scotland. Yeah, he came yeah. on the podcast. And one of the points he made was that, say, for example, maybe disabled people who can't go into a woodland for hours and hours uh, to spend time with these birds, it offers them an opportunity. Or, for example, people who maybe have very busy jobs and they can't spend a lot of time doing it. Uh, do I think there's any skill in it? I think you're right. It, it, there, there's not much skill because it's all kind of set up for you. Um, and that, that, I guess that's what you're paying for. You're paying for that opportunity. But I, I, I can see, I can see both ways of it. I, I have used hides in the past, and I would use hides. It largely depends on what the brief is. So if I'm being paid to do photography, um, so for example, I had a job to do sparrowhawks, and I could have done it in my garden or in my local woodland, but it would have taken months. And the company aren't going to pay for me to do that for months. But they, they're quite happy to send me up to Scotland for a, for a day. And to go and do that so yeah i see i see what you're saying um it's yeah. it's not it's not everyone's cup of tea and it's not always uh oh yeah it's not everyone's always a thing yeah i mean i i, I like yeah I'll, yeah 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 well yeah like you say i can i can completely see both sides um and yeah i, I never even thought of that fact to be honest of um people who are maybe disabled who want to sort of get a close-up view of things and can't spend hours doing it um then yeah that's that's absolutely fine um and that's brilliant but i it's the it's i guess it's being honest as well if you've taken a picture in a, in a pay-per-view hide then you should you should say that and to be fair you can normally sniff them out a mile off anyway those, those yeah, kind of images also, have got yeah. a style you you know when they're done yeah. in a hide and also i feel like from a personal point of view um i feel like you want to sort of earn it as well i would rather sit out in a wet bush for all like all day just to get the photo i wanted of you know i don't know a goshawk on a wood pigeon or something whatever I would rather do that than spend, um, you know, maybe 200 pounds, sit in a nice warm hide and wait for the bird, maybe 10, 15 minutes for it to come down. And that's guaranteed. I would rather rather spend, I mean, you know, obviously in cases like yours, when people are paying you, then you've got to get something done quickly. That's absolutely fine. But because, you know, I've someone who's not got any deadlines or anything from a personal point of view for just a, just an amateur photographer. I'm not serious about this sort of thing. I'm not getting paid for it. It's just my own social media. And there's no real pressure. I would rather spend, you know, rather, you know, a couple of weeks, days on a project and get the result that I wanted by myself. But it but it does completely vary. So people are again, there's no rules. If as long as you're doing it safely, not disturbing it, then then go for it. It's definitely more rewarding, like you say, when you do do it yourself. And when, when I've been up to the Cairngorms and you can go, they're not hides, but there's like these, these kind of like lock garden for crested tits as a queue to photograph the crested tits yeah, half yeah, the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's nice, but then you might sod off on your own and go into the woods and find one. Or maybe you go up on the, the hills and you find a mountain here on your own. 
it's definitely more rewarding when you've when you've found the animal you've got that endorphin rush and then when you get the images it's it's lovely to do that so yeah i can see that definitely yeah, absolutely agree i um i always find birding a little bit clicky sometimes as well to a, to a degree i know that these people all share very uh, the same passion so inevitably they're going to be quite close friends but i'll find sometimes i'll turn up to go see a rare bird a good example is actually that waxwing you told me about um I can't remember oh, yeah, where yeah, yeah. was it Retford? Oh, Retford, yeah, Retford, yeah. That was it, and I and I turned up, and everyone, everyone knows everyone, and you just sort of stand there, and it's like the smelly kid at the side of the schoolyard, and I'm like, well, oh, what's going on here? Uh, but they, you know, they'll. I always feel very careful when I've got my camera because you're sort of almost being judged. If you've got a long lens and you're trying to photograph these birds, then nearly always you'll get a couple of side glances, and the best experiences I've had are when on the very rare occasion I find a rare bird on my own and you've just got your own time to photograph it. Obviously, there's a huge amount of uh, respect that you need for the animal, but it's just common sense, I think, at the end of the day. You don't flush the bird, you don't spook it. But I, I had a great encounter with a waxwing in Chesterfield. And there were no other birders there, no, no other photographers, just me. And I was able to get close enough that it wouldn't scare but closer than I would have done if there were other people. Because I'm very conscious as well. If, I, if there's a rare bird, I don't want to flush that or scare it because people could have travelled quite far to see that. And I, I wouldn't want to ruin their day. Um, but I think it comes down to common sense at, at the end of the day with, with photographing birds. Yeah, I think it does. And I, I definitely agree with your point. You can sort of feel, I mean, even if you don't have a camera, just in general, if you turn up at a place and you can feel like, like you know, like the odd, the odd one out and you sort of still in the air thinking, oh gosh, I don't know anyone here, no one's talking to me, I don't know what they're looking at, I don't know where the bird is, I don't know who to ask. It's I've, I've definitely had that before. Um, you know, I know a couple of people now, and often when I'm going to see, um, like, like when I went to see the vulture, I went with Rob, and he, and he obviously knew a few people there, and um, and I knew, I think, one person there as well, um, and obviously you can't really miss a vulture, so that was a, <laughs> he's right in front of you, but um, I, I, I definitely get that especially because I've, um, I mean, I've got a long lens camera. I don't use it as much as I probably should, or maybe even want to, because it's very heavy. Um, but I, you know, when you, when you do turn up at these places and everyone else has just got their binoculars and it's, you sort of turn up and you set it up on the tripod and then you point it at the bird and then, you know, the shutter goes off and it's quite loud and you just feel, oh gosh, that's, it is, it, 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 it is really, it, it can be quite uncomfortable and I completely get that because um, I've, you know, I've had exactly the same experience and I'm sure loads of other people have as well. Um, and it is, because because it is, in, in general, the bird, wa bird watching community, it is, they, it, you know, just as long as you're not hogging everything, you just sort of, if, if you know, if you ask for directions somewhere, I've, I went to Spurn, I don't really know the area well because I don't really go there often. Stop one guy because he, he was on a bike and he had like a spurn hat on and said, Do you know where Burrow Pit is? And he's like, Oh, yes, you know, left, right, left, right, whatever. Um, so, generally, if you ask someone, they're always, you know, they'll point it out to you. But um, there is definitely that um, awkwardness and embarrassment when you turn up somewhere and you think, Oh, gosh, I'm the only one here with a camera. And it's a bit, it's, it's, it, 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 it is, it's hard to describe, but I, yeah. I, I know what you mean. It's weird. I should say as well, nine times out of 10, if you do talk to another, a bird watcher there they're normally happy to chat and and, oh, and, yeah. and, and point the birds out it's not normally like people ignore you or, or push you to the floor or anything like that they'll normally kind of help you it's normally something like it's in in the tree not a whereabouts or the left the left branch three three sticks down and you're you're staring at this tree for half an hour trying to find this little bird or, or <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. but 
but uh, normally they're they are a friendly bunch and and kind of can help you out so they're um they're all right they're all right by me they are all right yeah they are i mean i was um i was quite surprised as well because a lot i was um when i first sort of got into birding and i was walking around areas um you know just my local patch like show forest or the idle valley i thought i was going to get like a load of weird looks just because i'm a kid who's into it um and um but actually they're all really keen to see young people because they because they know they know that a lot of them i mean again i've got no i mean it is it's a shame there isn't more diversity in the birding world but um we'll try and do everything to amend that and have a you know an equal split but um they know that it is just a lot of old white um retired men some middle class whatever um and, and they know that as well so when they see a young kid who's going to carry on their um sort of birding streak if you like um then they are always willing to encourage it and i've received loads of great support on social media from um birders people who i don't even know who are just sort of encouraging me and say you know great find i got a great message the other day from someone saying you know great find with this and this and this and keep doing what you're doing and it's 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 really humbling to get that actually from people you i mean i don't know them they don't know me that well but just through social media um i've met some great great people and they are and not like you say nine times out of ten they're always really supportive so it is it, it is it is a great little community to be a part of what what do you th- your friends of your because how old are you again and are you six no 15 16 uh, 15 yeah 15 so what do your friends think of it because uh, presumably are, are any of them bird watchers as well or are they like why is indy staring at a tree for half an hour well, yeah, well, friends. Oh God, who 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 got friends? Um, so, I I don't really have any friends who are sort of my age at all. Okay. So, it's because I, I mean, I'm because I'm homeschooled at the moment, so that obviously restricts the people I meet. Yeah, that's but yeah. Even when I was in school, I never had anyone. I never really had that many people who I clicked with, um, and I'd because they were just interested in different things like i don't know what it was football or computer games and i've um i've never i've never really been to a football match and i've never played a video game and i don't wish to so it's i mean it's, it's their thing it's not mine that's how it is but uh, a lot of my friends are just you know kind of people your age just 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 sort of younger people who i would look up to um and people i, I only really friend people who are sort of into this sort of thing because yeah um although people who have other hobbies completely respect that um, they're not interested in what I'm interested in. I'm not really interested in what they're interested in. Then you just move on in life, really. So um, it is. But I, but I know when I first started um, sort of at primary, when when I did a little bit of the beginning of secondary school, um, people just look at you as if you're sort of insane and weird for just being interested in anything other than um, whatever that was. They're interesting because I didn't really care. It was sort of like, you know, football, like I said, video games. Like I yeah. had no idea what they were talking about. Um, so and that's that's just how it was really and i just sort of came to accept it and i know that's still how it is and i i mean i did feel left out to a degree but you also it sort of makes you it's nice to make it's nice to feel different in some cases the sort of thing well you know i sort of stand out a little bit here because um um you know i'm not interested in exactly the same thing so i'm glad that this is sort of my unique little slot that i can sort of enjoy things in because i'm uh, just sort of keep it to myself and see whatever i'm seeing it's nice to sort of just have something that's your own hobby that you can share with some others who are interested but um yeah it's just it's just people like you really who i befriend really and hang yeah. out with nature seems to be a weird 
subject for, for kids. I remember when I was at school, um, I, I was never really bullied for it, but they couldn't quite understand. They were like, well, why is he so interested in frogs or, or, or whatever I was interested in at the time? But when you look on social media now, it looks like there's lots of, lots of young people interested in nature, but they seem to be isolated. So you'll, you'll get this community of young people uh, I think a focus on nature is one of the best examples of all these different people across the country who, who are interested in nature, but they don't necessarily all live in the same area or even go to the same school. So it's a, it's a weird passion, I suppose. And um, I was talking to, oh, who was it? I can't remember. I recorded a podcast with someone the other day and they said, if you're going to get the nature bug, it's something you either get very early on in life or you come back to it maybe in your late twenties, early thirties. It's sort of like once you get to the teenage years, I guess other other priorities <laughs> come into your life and your and distractions. Yeah. Uh, but it's something you either get early on or it comes a little bit later as you go along. So, it's yeah, a- yeah, I agree because I feel like I feel like when like as a young kid, I haven't met like a two year old or a toddler who doesn't like jumping and rolling around in a muddy puddle. I mean, come on, I did. Um, so I feel like everyone sort of has, I know it sounds a bit geeky, but the call of the wild in them, if you know what I mean, when, when they're young. That's how, you know, humans are designed to be, designed to live off the land and all that. So um, then I feel like that is sort of scrubbed out of us when we sort of go through secondary school. And again, sort of like me, I think the only real reason why I'm really interested in nature is because of where I live, right behind this wall, Jack, where I'm talking to you, is Sherwood Forest, my playground, my home, really. So, but it's, so I'm, so I'm lucky that I, because I didn't really have anyone else that I was in school with who was sort of on the same page as me and interested. Um, I was one of the lucky ones who thankfully didn't sort of give in and didn't fall for the other sort of crowd and the, you know, whatever it else people, young people are interested in, in, but, I think, like you say, there are a lot of young people who are actually interested in obviously the climate crisis and the, all the climate and biodiversity crisis, I should say, and all the climate marches. I think they've helped get more young people into that because I almost feel like that's becoming the new good and cool thing to do, obviously very good. Um, and I remember I was, well, I went to a climate strike in Nottingham last October and I turned up there, I was went with some RSPB friends and then I looked over on the wall and I saw half of my school friends on there. I just thought, what on earth are you doing here? And I just, I went over and I had, a, I had a hug and a chat with them. And I just thought, this is amazing. So even though they, you know, that we never really spoke about wildlife or nature, um, maybe they still had that little bit in them, but then um, it, 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 it shone back again. So that was, that, that, that was a real sort of moment. Okay, right, maybe we can do this, but. Yeah, when when I saw when I saw my old school friends there, I just thought that is brilliant. And more, you know, we need more people like that. And but like you say, a lot of them are isolated, kind of like the habitats they control. But um, yeah, yeah, to see them there was a real treat. Yeah, and that's what we need, definitely. Well, look, buddy, it's it's a pleasure to to chat as always. It's a shame we didn't get to show it, but I'm sure we'll we'll have another twitch around there at some point. And You'll have to Google some of those twitching terms. Be careful with jizz. I wouldn't Google that, but the rest of them, um, <laughs> but the rest of them, you should be all I'll right. I'll leave that off. Yeah, yeah, I'll I would, leave that off. I would that. But look, it's been a pleasure and I'll, I'll catch you soon, Indy. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really good fun. Thank you. It might be a sign of me getting older, but I struggle to tell how old people are. I should just note that I won't hold up in court. But Indy does come across much wiser and older than you would expect for a 15-year-old. 
He knows so many bird calls and flight patterns, it's unreal. And I have a lot of respect for that young man. I'm not sure I'm any closer to understanding twitching, but I am guilty of doing the occasional local twitch. Next week, I'll be interviewing Matt Briley as we talk about his film Sharks in Deep Water, which explores the overfishing of sharks in British and European waters, how shark fin soup is still legal in Britain, and why the demand for shark meat is rising. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll catch you next time. Cheers. <laughs>